0: Well, hey there friend, happy Friday as always. You know, on this very date in 1997, IBM supercomputer Deep Blue defeated Garry Kasparov in chess. 26 years later, we've got AI art, robot girlfriends, even AI narrators. Hey, but you'd never listen to one of those, would you? Nah, never the Druby brothers. No, nah, not the worry, Chester. Your job's as safe as safe can be. Good luck building a robot alligator, Apple. Come on inside, friends. We've got real work to do. Mm. Oh, that's better. Find me a robot who's gonna smoke and drink with you and I'll take my leave. Meanwhile, smoke them if you got them, and drink those glasses to the bottom, y'all. Cause the real Drew Blood has a tell to tell. Eric Peabody here, reminding you that if you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. And while you're at it, check out Horror Hill on this very same network, where I'll bring you even more Tales to Terrify every week. Thanks, Drew and Chester. Let's do lunch. So, tonight, we join Airman Rena and Sergeant Avery at Mitchell Air Force Base, where a military exercise is about to fall through the cracks. So, without further delay, I give you from author W.B. Stickle The Fissure. <laughs> Tense canvas door flapped open, and Rena came barging through, her pug face more puggy than usual. Well, Sergeant Avery? She drawled in that annoying Midwest twang of hers. I saw it again. Same as before, like I told you. Her superior, Staff Sergeant John Avery, regarded her with a petulant eye, then reached across the card table they'd been using as their entertainment center and paused the DVD he had on a special 25th anniversary edition of The Breakfast Club. And, he said, oddly working his tongue at a sliver of chicken caught in his teeth, did you check it out like I said? Sixty minutes earlier, during her hourly foot patrol at the exercise grounds, she'd claimed to have seen something weird within the skeleton of the mess hall tent. An unusual sort of light, like someone with a jittery hand shining a flashlight on the ground. No one was there. Convinced it was just a late hour and desolate setting messing with her head, Avery told her not to worry about it. It was obviously just her imagination fucking with her. If, however, she did happen to see it again, he advised her to Scooby-Doo it, a reference he had to explain in more detail, which both irritated and depressed him. Rena folded her arms across her chest. I was kind of hoping you'd come with me. "'Aw, will a Weena scared of the big
1: bad imaginary white?' "'It ain't imaginary, Sergeant Avery,' Rena
0: fired back. "'And I ain't scared. I'd just rather not check it out alone is all.' Avery smiled thinly at her. When his section chief informed him he had been selected as the night NCO for the build-up phase of the exercise, babysitting all the expensive equipment housed in various communication tents, He'd had hopes of being paired up with someone cool, like a dude with an Xbox or a decent-looking chick. What he got instead was Airman Christine Rena, a nerdy pug-faced redhead from Iowa who loved country music and the Twilight series. On the positive side, she was a hard worker and didn't mind doing the security rounds, which made his life a whole lot easier. "'Fine,' he said getting up. "'Show me.' They pushed their way through the canvas door and were immediately greeted by the glare of two flood lamps they had set up to illuminate the area around their tent, which served as the main communications tent. Rena started to say something but was drowned out by the rumble of generators and cooling units. Avery motioned for her to zip it, and together they walked out past the flood lamps, where it was less noisy. Twenty or so paces onward, they stopped, and Avery panned about Camp Zero, the large tent-studded field on the western side of Mitchell Air Force Base where all of the base's war games were played. The object of Renna's angst, the partially erected mess hall, sat in the middle of it all, perhaps fifty yards away, its silhouette barely visible under the soft glow of the moon. So, Avery said, pointing to the structure, ''There?'' ''Yes.'' And you saw a light, what, sort of moving around on the ground? Affirmative. Avery squinted. I don't see anything. Well... Renner huffed. It ain't happening right now. Of course not. Avery muttered. Then adopting his best shaggy voice, he said, Okay, Scoob, what do you say we go and take a look-see? It's the mess hall. Maybe there's snacks. Renner's face bunched up like a raisin. Huh? "'Snacks,' Avery repeated. "'Cause Shaggy and Scooby are always hungry and—' "'Christ, never fucking mind. Come on!' Removing his flashlight from his web belt and shining it ahead, Avery meandered through the dark to the skeletal structure. Rena, with her own flashlight at the ready, straggled close behind. When they got to the structure's outer framing, Avery paused and had another look. "'Still nothing,' he said. Rena kept going, moving inside the assemblage of two-by-fours. She halted at the very center and looked down. Here's where I saw it. It was moving in a funny pattern like this. She moved her beam along the ground in a figure-eight pattern. After a moment, she stopped and went down on her haunches. What's up, Scoob? Avery said. Find a clue? Quit calling me that, dang it. Renna growled at him. She immediately seemed to realize the inappropriateness of her tone and quickly added,
1: And yes, sir, I did. Look.
0: Avery bridled at the sir bit, not because he was an NCO and the officers were supposed to be the sirs, but because he was 34 and losing his hair, and being called sir made him feel old. Okay, he grumbled, taking a knee beside her. What do we got? Rena pointed at the spot of grass directly in front of her, which Avery saw was a sooty black color instead of the normal green. Puzzled, he put his hand out and waved it over the blackened area. Warm, he said with a frown. Yeah, Rina agreed.
1: Like someone lit a fire here.
0: Then put it out right before we left the tent. Avery was about to tack on, except there's no smoke rising from it but opted to hold on to that little nugget for the time being.
1: "'But who?'
0: inquired Rena.
1: "'You think maybe someone's screwing around with this?'
0: Avery arched his eyebrows and gave it some thought. "'Actually,' he said, nodding, "'there are a couple of knuckleheads in the squadron I wouldn't put it past.' "'Really?' "'Oh, yeah. Off the top of my head, let's see. "'There's Rogers from Corps Services, Collins from Maintenance Control.' And Martell from SACCOM. Avery rubbed his chin. If I was a betting man, though, I'd put my money on Martell. Rena scrunched her nose.
1: How come? He seems so nice.
0: Oh, he's one of the nicest people around. But he's also one of the most devious people you'll ever meet. Being so new, you wouldn't know. But Martell is kind of notorious around base for his prank pulling. Avery shook his head. And as it stands, he still owes me for this thing I did back in January. A glint of intrigue sparkled in Rena's eyes. Why? What'd you do? The old frozen hat trick, Avery said, chuckling. When he saw Rena had no clue what he was talking about, he elaborated I took his OCP cap, soaked it in his office's fish tank, then threw it in the break room's freezer. It worked out perfectly, too. He had brought his lunch that day and hadn't bothered to look for it until it was time to go home. Rena smiled.
1: It must have been frozen solid. He
0: had to be pissed. Correct on both accounts. The way I heard it, though, he didn't say anything. Just grabbed it, sat it on top of his head and wore it all the way up to his car. It was snowing then, and you know how far away we have to park sometimes. The parking lot for their squadron was a massive plot of concrete, shared by five other squadrons, and unless you got lucky, it was tough to get a spot any closer than a ten-minute walk away. Pretty mean, Sergeant Avery, Rena said, standing. But funny. It's funny because it's mean, Avery corrected. Snickering, Rena glanced down at the burnt grass.
1: So, like, you really think this is him? Sure took his sweet time getting you back, didn't he?
0: Told you he's devious, Avery replied, getting to his feet. And yes, I'm sure this here is 100% his doing. Rena scanned the shadow-wrapped exercise grounds.
1: What should we do then?
0: Avery shrugged. Nothing. Business as usual, until I come up with something better. For now, let's just head back inside. I could do with another cup of coffee, and there's that rematch you owe me. Earlier in the shift, he had challenged her to a game of chess and she had mopped the floor with him, something he was sure was a fluke, even after she admitted to having been captain of her chess club in high school. Rena turned her flashlight off. She seemed relieved to have an answer about the light. Your funeral, she said, and together they started back toward the main communications tent.
2: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's dot icom
0: Rena gazed across the chessboard at Avery, her fingers tapping impatiently on the card table. Avery ignored her, choosing instead to focus on the unfortunate pickle he had gotten himself into.
1: Any day now,
0: Rena prompted. Avery grumbled. With his king backed into a corner and her queen, rook, and knight threatening, it appeared she had him licked again. Grudgingly, he conceded victory. Best four of seven, Rena offered. Avery rubbed his eyes in aggravation. Nah, he said. Kind of getting bored of this game. He checked his watch. It was almost four. Besides, it's time for rounds, smarty-pants. Rena grinned as she got up and pushed in her chair. Gladly, she said. When she got to the flap door, she peered back at Avery.
1: Wait, what about the prank thingy? You come up with any ideas?
0: Yep, Avery said. No changes. We stick to our routine. Rena's grin disappeared.
1: That's your big plan?
0: It is. Think about it. If Martel is still out there screwing with us, then the joke's actually on him. Remember, he's playing in the exercise, too. He's got to be out there like everyone else in a few hours to help with the buildup. And then the scenarios kick off around noon. It's supposed to be in the high 90s tomorrow. He'll be dead on his feet by 10. Avery met Rena's eyes. All the same, watch out for any booby traps when you go out. Booby traps? New no pranky-type stuff, Avery clarified, wavering her out. Now shoo! Sure. When she was gone, Avery turned his attention to the small LCD TV and DVD player sitting on the card table. He fired up the TV and unpaused the breakfast club. Well, Brian, the movie resumed where he had last left off, All the, the food lunch food scene. Ally Sheedy making a Cap'n Did Crunch and Pixie Stick, and stick sandwich. Emilio Estevez yeah. unpacking his giant brown bag feast. Judd Nelson questioning Molly Ringwald on the wiseness of eating sushi. In your mouth and you're eat that. Anthony Michael Hall with his peanut butter and jelly with the crust cut off. The Breakfast Club had a special place in Avery's heart. Watching it always reminded him of the 80s, of mongoose bikes and Air Jordan sneakers, of Bruce Springsteen with a bandana sticking out his back pocket, and Michael Jackson with a sparkly white glove of playing the Pepsi Challenge at the mall and watching MTV when it still showed music videos. More than anything, though, it reminded him of a time when his mother could still remember who he was, back before the EMS crisscrossed her brain with its life-sapping scars. On the screen, a close-up of Ally Sheedy's hair-draped face appeared. Avery paused the DVD there and stared at the image. His mother had a look a lot like Ali Sheedy, he supposed this was another reason he liked the film so much. Careful not to let his gaze linger, the nostalgia he felt was nice, but it also tended to elicit some of his darker memories, like having to watch his mother gradually lose her motor function, listening to her cry as he and his father checked her into that specialized living facility, and of course her death three years later. Avery moved his finger to the play button, and got the DVD going again. Fifteen minutes later, a nagging feeling drew his eyes from the screen to his watch. According to it, Rena had been gone twice the amount of time it usually took to complete her rounds. He supposed she might have decided to take a potty break, but something in his gut told him something fishier was afoot. Martell, he groused, stopping the movie. As soon as he did, a strange noise cut through the night, rising over the clatter of the generators and
2: coolers.
0: (gasps) Avery started at the sound, which brought to mind those weird shrieks that red foxes back home in Kentucky sometimes made. Only this sound seemed human to him. "'Rena,' he said, somehow certain it had come from her. The notion drove him out of his seat to the flap door. What, he wondered, could Martell possibly have done to provoke such fear in a grown woman, no less? And further, what did the old boy have in store for him when he went gallivanting out there? Mulling the endless possibilities, Avery readied his flashlight and prepared himself to find out. He figured if he was fast enough, maybe he'd get lucky and spoil whatever Martell had planned. And if not, then screw it. At least he'd get the whole pranking business over with. All right, he said, and slipped through the flap. Crouching low, he scurried out past the flood lamps and took quick stock of his dark surroundings. The only thing of note he glimpsed was a soft glow coming from the ground within the mess hall structure, right about where he and Rena had discovered the burnt grass. Go figure, he said, skulking towards it. When he reached the structure, he saw right away that the spot of burnt grass had gotten bigger, easily tripling in size. It was glossier now, more liquidy, like a puddle filled with a luminescent kind of oil. Avery shined his light on it, mystified. When he moved his beam along its leftmost edge, he noticed something was sticking out of the oil. A stout, lumpy mass covered in camouflage. Avery moved closer, and it dawned on him what he was looking at. Rena, laying on her belly with her head and arms submerged in the puddle. "'Jesus Christ!' he said, thinking that this was a prank. It was the best one he had ever seen, by a long shot. He had no sooner thought this when Rena's body started to convulse wildly, flaying and thrashing as if it was in the grips of a powerful seizure. Avery jumped back at the movement but kept his light trained on her thrashing body. She convulsed for another few seconds before going limp. "'Christine!' Avery murmured, certain now this was no prank. The girl's body thrashed once more, dislodging itself from the puddle. A beat later, she twisted around and sat bolt upright. Curiously, none of the puddle's oily stuff stuck to her. Avery moved his beam to her face, which was red and blistered, as were her arms and hands. Avery was just about to utter her name again when Rena's head jerked in his direction and her eyelids popped open, revealing a pair of glassy swimming orbs. After drifting aimlessly for a bit, they settled on Avery and her jaw dropped open, hanging lower than it should have, as if the mandible had come unhinged. From it, a low keen noise issued while blood trickled off her bottom lip onto her lap. Aghast, Avery backed up a couple more paces. Rena countered his retreat by standing up in an awkward, unnatural manner. First, her hands jerked outwards, slammed onto the ground, and locked straight like support beams. Then her feet drew back and her hips thrust upward in a hard bucking motion, propelling her into a standing position. Once upright, she lingered briefly, swaying like a tree in high winds. After several back and forth, she went still and keen some more. "'Rena,' Avery mewled, his voice faltering. "'What is this? What happened?' A fresh rivulet of blood leapt from the girl's mouth. She moaned and started taking jerky, shambling steps towards him. As much as Avery wanted to know what was going on, his instincts told him to turn tail and call for help, which was exactly what he did. Knowing there was an operational bank of secure telephones at the rear of the main communications tent, he fled back inside and hastened to the phones. He picked one at random and hammered out the number for base security. A security forces technical sergeant named Diaz answered on the second ring. Avery spoke fast. This is Staff Sergeant John Avery over at Camp Zero. I'm the night NCO here, and something... something's happened. I can't explain what, but the airman with me, Airman Rena, is injured and I need an ambulance. What? No, man, this is real world. The exercise doesn't even start until... Alright. Alright. Thanks. Out. A bead of sweat ran down his forehead into his eye. As he wiped it away, he heard the sound of canvas rustling behind him. He turned and saw Rena staggering through the flap door. When she passed under the tense fluorescent lights, Avery realized her injuries were more extensive than he first thought. The skin covering her face, neck, and part of her arms was mottled and bubbly like overcooked pizza, and a piece of her jawbone poked through her cheek. Crimson tears oozed from the wound. And red frost seeped from her mouth. She ambled past the card table and down the tenth central aisle. Her movements were still jerky and jittery, but markedly less so than before. Watching her approach, Avery was reminded of a toddler still getting comfortable with their newfound ability to walk. He glanced right and left, seeking an escape route, but found himself closed in by racks of equipment. If he wanted out. He was going to have to go through Rena. Just stop there, Christine, he said. Listen, you're hurt, bad by the looks of it. You need to sit down until help arrives. I don't know what that thing out there did to you, but we'll figure it out. I called the BDOC. Security forces will be here real soon. Seeming not to hear, Rena kept coming and coming, her stagger slow and purposeful. More gurgles bubbled from her gaping maw, these coming in long strings. Avery had the impression she was trying to say something. When she closed within five feet, Avery snatched a heavy technical manual from one of the shelves to his left and wielded it like a weapon. He repeated his demand for her to stop, but she paid no heed. When she got within arm's length, he said he was sorry and belted her across the head. The blow sent her reeling against a rack of encryption devices to his right. He thought she might go down, but somehow, she managed to wheel back around and grab his arm. Avery fought to break free, but Rena merely tightened her grip. Let go! He shouted, her swimming eyes locked on his. Instead of letting go, she cast him face first into the bank of secure telephones behind them. Ah! His forehead caught the corner of one of the metal shelves and the darkness leapt up, swallowing him whole. Sirens blared somewhere in the distance. Avery blinked open his eyes and found himself staring up at the stars. His face was hot and a smell like burnt plastic filled his nostrils. Confused, he craned his neck to get his bearings and saw that he was lying on his back beside the oil puddle. No, he said and tried to get up. A pair of hands came flying out of the darkness as he did. They landed on his head, dripping it hard and thrust it into the puddle. Avery screamed and a tremendous voltaic jolt rippled through his brain. Everything went bright white and his mind became infused with the wails of a billion beings trapped in eternity. Amid the wails, something not quite solid grasped his face and tore open his jaw. There was no pain in the act, just a vague popping sensation and the notion of something rushing into his throat. Next, he knew his essence was being pushed into a small corner of his brain and felt something very old and angry permeating the rest of his gray matter with parts of it exploring the areas he had never used. Whatever it was, it spoke to him in the language of neurons and in the matter of milliseconds explained its race's long tragic story. Avery communicated that he understood its plight, especially the anguish and loss of its own parent figures and agreed to sleep indefinitely so it might use his body. It thanked him and then all at once he was dreaming. The inhabitant of Rena's body moved away from the fissure and gazed at the pair of armored monsters with the revolving lights which had just approached. The monsters went still for a moment, then broke open and two organic creatures emerged. The creatures brandished archaic weapons and made vocalizations that the inhabitant was on the verge of understanding. Studying the armed creatures, the inhabitant considered how very lucky its species had been. After all those millennia spent scratching and digging at the walls of the wretched singularity, they could have emerged anywhere in the universe. A dead planet, a lifeless moon, an imploding star, or more likely the infinite depths of space. But somehow their sages' calculations had pushed them through the fissure here, on this flourishing world, which not only had a sustainable atmosphere but sentient inhabitable life forms. It was far more than their species could have ever hoped for. Even more providential was the fact that these sentient life forms were not undeveloped. They had speech and weaponry, which meant they were somewhat evolved and probably had achieved some measure of technological advancement. This was good because it would require the inhabitant species less time to build the gateways necessary to return to their home world and retake it from the vile invaders which had killed most of their population and banished the rest to the singularity. Avery's soon body rose from the fissure, newly inhabited, and shuffled to where Rena's inhabitants stood. Another armored monster announced its arrival with bright lights and loud screams. Rena's inhabitant also deemed this beneficial to its needs. Only two of its kind had escaped the fissure so far, and there were many more waiting for their freedom. Since that freedom required the inhabitant a viable host, the more of these creatures that came, the better. The two armed creatures stayed where they were while the two different ones, bearing some sort of container instead of weapons, came nearer, emitting more vocalizations. The inhabitants of Rena and Avery communicated with each other through gurgles and moved back towards the fissure. When the creatures were within a couple of paces, Rena's inhabitant articulated one of the words it had learned from picking through Rena's brain Sorry, it said brimming with the corporeal strength it hadn't known for eons and then it attacked And that was The Fissure by W.B. Stickle. A good reminder how great the 80s were. If we make it to the 2080s, it'll probably be some other species having all the fun. Maybe Apple and their damn robots. A little about the author. W.B. Stickle lives with his family in central New York. By day, he works for the Air Force doing geeky communication stuff. By night, he reads and writes as much as life allows. His short fiction has appeared in over a dozen magazines and anthologies, to include Sanitarium Magazine and the Lovecraft-inspired collection, Whispers from the Abyss. His stories have also appeared as podcast episodes on Tales to Terrify, Nocturnal Transmissions, Horror Hill, Drew Blood's Dark Tales, most notably, of course, and Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. You can also find WB on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash WBStickle. Also, he loves Teletubby photos. Send away, folks. And do me a favor, would you? Subscribe to this podcast wherever you do your listening and leave me a five-star review and a kind word, even if you're listening on YouTube. I need soldiers on all fronts to win this battle, and I really appreciate it, y'all. To hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the upper menu. You'll find yourself at chillintalesfordarknights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive, all ad-free and available to download or stream. Thank you for your time and for supporting our sponsors. When you support our sponsors, you support this show. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we're accepting submissions, friend, If you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on this show, send it to DrewBloodHorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll get the full treatment. Well, I'm afraid this is where we part ways, at least till next week. So grab a drink for the road, friend, but keep your eyes peeled out there vision should be the least of your concerns. I'd like to take the time to say hi to a few of our listeners. So, Becca O'Hara, Sierra Lilbit, and Cortland Walker. Thank y'all for the kind comments and support. I really appreciate it. So, Becca O'Hara, Sierra Lilbit, and Cortland Walker. May the wind be at your back and may the road rise up to meet you. Keep an eye out for Chinese spy balloons, y'all. And if you happen to get under one, tell them she's all nasal chi. Good night, y'all.